Hey everyone, I'm Dan Cortler, the host of TED Climate. Each episode, we unpack the problems and solutions of climate change. This season of the show, we're getting into some big ideas that make us optimistic about the future, like meat grown from cells and leather made from mushrooms. And the best part? We look at how building a greener future can be an upgrade instead of a sacrifice. Find and follow TED Climate wherever you're listening to this. This is a CBC Podcast. Yeah, my name is Laura Farley, and I'm nominating my partner, Sunil Singhal, as a climate champion. He's a quiet activist. He's a behind-the-scenes person who sends the emails. He does the budgets. He does the Excel spreadsheets. He sends the you know, board meeting notes um, for all of these different organizations he's involved with. Hey, Laura Lynch, just popping in here to tell you that the other Laura, the one you just heard introducing herself, is actually standing with me on a bridge in a park in Burnaby, B.C. And we're about to surprise Sunil. He's just arriving, and he has no idea he's about to be honoured for his work. Here we go. (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) Surprise twice! Yes. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Come on over here. Uh, Laura has something to tell you. Yes. So I nominated you for a climate champion through What's on Earth. Yeah. Wow. Okay, did not expect so, that. The whole thing, yes. It was a big surprise. Hey, you're welcome. And here they're sharing a little hug. You're blushing a little bit. I did not expect that. I was, yeah, caught by surprise, definitely. Do you want to tell him why you, you thought he should be recognized? I think you do a lot of behind-the-scenes work for the environment. And I know sometimes I gripe about, you know, I'm doing the dishes. <laughs> And you're doing the Zoom meetings, but overall, I'm really proud of you. And, yeah, you do a lot of hard work. It goes unnoticed, I think. Thank you. How how do you feel about Laura doing that for you, recognizing you and being recognized? (laughs) Well, I appreciate it, and I'm a little bit still surprised. I don't really know what to say. But um, I feel like it's something that I, I need to do. I don't know if I necessarily call myself a, a, a champion or... I definitely feel like it's something that I need to do. So, yeah. yeah. Is there anything you want to say back to Laura? Thank you. and I, I love you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Aw, a special moment. And one of several we have on What on Earth today as we mark the run-up to Earth Day by recognizing people who work at the local level to champion the fight against climate change. All of these heroes nominated by you, our listeners. For now, though, let's get back to Sunil, who, quite frankly, is still a bit stunned by it all. He's taking a walk with me through the very park he helped to protect when City Council wanted to take a big chunk of it away. It's a wetland, a big carbon-sucking sink right beside the Fraser River, marked by stands of trees, plenty of birds, And unfortunately, as you'll hear, a few jets overhead. I started by asking Sunil what motivates him to spend his spare time volunteering on climate campaigns. I feel like it's a calling that that we need to to do, essentially. But you already have a full-time job. Why do more of it in the rest of your spare time? I also do personally enjoy it. I think 
meeting the variety of people who also feel a sense of an urgency to at least address the climate emergency, I think is is great. And I've met so many people from across Metro Vancouver, ages in their teens to all the way to uh, seniors who have um, retired who just want to address the climate emergency is great. Tell me about this place and why it's important to you. We're in the Burnaby Fraser Foreshore Park. Um, For me personally, the reason why I care about the park is I used to walk in this park with my mom when I was living at home about maybe 10, 15 years ago. I'd walk here as a kid and we used to see heron. There's muskrats. Actually, I saw a muskrat on the way here. And when Laura, my partner, moved here in 2020, uh, I took her here to the park and heard at least maybe three or four barred owls. So, yeah. But from those childhood memories came your involvement in a, in a campaign as part of a group called Force of Nature mm-hmm. to stop Burnaby City Council from building an organic waste facility here. Why? Yeah, so it's not necessarily that we were against the idea of an organic waste facility. It was the idea of where they wanted to place it. And so uh, we came together and we said that we would work with the local residents to try and stop the removal of 21 acres of parkland and yeah we were pretty happy with the success how would you describe um not just the nature of your role but but how big a role you played in making it happen i think it was uh twofold i think the environmental organizations had i'm sorry i'm sorry to interrupt again but i think you can hear how modest sunil is Since he would only talk about what everyone else in the campaign did to protect the park, I've decided to bring his partner Laura back in for a proper tribute. Here is what Sunil does. You know, it takes all kinds for um, us to, you know, move forward with climate change um, action. And I think with Sunil working in the background, he's able to organize a lot of different people who might not meet each other. He's... um, creating platforms for people to speak together and uh, yeah he's just doing so much important work that needs to happen before sometimes a big protest happens or before a big movement happens he's doing the behind the scenes work yeah I'm proud of him (laughs) okay back to our chat what would you say to someone who said well who would look at this and, and what you managed to do and say well that's not that big a deal you just saved a park what does that mean for the climate I think it speaks to a larger thing in Burnaby and we, we see this in at City Council as well where they've now said that they will never go through the alternative approval process to remove parkland ever again. So yes we saved maybe one park but I think we've also made it so that City Council thinks twice about maybe removing parkland. I guess the only other thing to consider is that the city was hoping to use this to um, reach its promise to become carbon neutral by 2050 what does the park protecting it outweigh that we encourage and we celebrate when municipalities want to take bold climate action definitely do it i think it's okay to make mistakes though along the way and this was a mistake where were you the day you found out that uh, council had backed down and you'd won i was with uh laura and and her family and we were I was shocked. I didn't expect it. Yeah, very happy. Yeah. So I guess you're not too busy anymore, huh? Uh, 
I, I wish I could say that, but now we're, we're moving on to another campaign in Burnaby. Um, Victoria actually recently um, passed a new um, motion to accelerate their step code policy. And so, that is revising building codes to ensure that they are done more in line with climate targets? Essentially. And so with Victoria being more bold and accelerating their timelines, we want to see that in Metro Vancouver. And uh, we're hoping that Burnaby will do so uh, soon as well. I'm wondering what you would say to other people who are wondering what they can do um, in the fight against the effects of climate change. People would be pleasantly surprised to know that if you email or talk to your your local official, like at, at the municipal level, if you just email them and saying, hey, what can you do to address the climate emergency? Most elected officials are happy to chat about what your concerns are and, and how they can address them. Well, congratulations once again, and thank you for telling me all the work you've done. Well, th- thank you very much, and especially for all the work that you do. You are listening to What on Earth on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius XM. I'm Laura Lynch. And since we started asking for your community climate heroes, our email box has been overflowing with nominations. What on Earth's Rachel Sanders has been pouring over them for us. Hey, Rachel. Hi, Laura. So what's going on with all the emails? Oh, so many emails. It's been inspiring to hear your suggestions for people and projects that should be recognized. On our show today, we're going to hear from a woman who's working to help remote Indigenous communities get off diesel. Uh, We'll meet a group of young people who turned the grief of seeing their land changed by wildfires into beautiful music. And we'll hear about ways neighbours are inspiring neighbours to decarbonize their homes. But for now, I want to talk about snowmen. Snowmen? Snowmen, yes. We got an email from Sandra Hassanak. Sandra lives in Winnipeg. She's 80 years old. And she says, as we face numerous environmental crises, including global warming, melting ice caps and threats to our white north, the last snowman project raises awareness of the urgent climate change problem by inspiring teachers and students to take action and make a pledge to protect our earth. Okay, I'm curious to know how snowmen <laughs> feed into all of this. So what is what is the Last Snowman Project about? Well, it's a community snowman building contest in Winnipeg. Sandra nominated three people involved in it. First of all, Maria Den Oudsden, who created it back in the early 2000s. Maria had moved to Winnipeg from the Netherlands. She loves snow and she wanted to raise awareness about climate change and the possibility that cities like Winnipeg might not have much snow in the future. Maria actually left Winnipeg a few years later and the contest petered out. But Sandra says it's been back in full force for the past three years. And Maria is still involved, actually, from a distance, donating money for prizes. Okay, that is loyalty. So who else did Sandra nominate? Sandra also nominated her daughter, Jenny Hassanak-Brew. Sandra says Jenny helped get several schools involved in the contest over the past two years. And that leads nicely into Sandra's third nomination, Suzanne Beauregard. Suzanne is a teacher librarian at an elementary school in Winnipeg. 
And Sandra says Suzanne used this contest as an opportunity to teach her students about climate change and help them understand what's at stake if we don't act urgently on the problem. And then her students built an interactive snow sculpture landscape on the school grounds for people in the community to walk through. They actually won the top prize in the school's category, $1,000. And Suzanne's going to use that money for an outdoor classroom so students can continue to feel connected uh, to the land and understand the importance of taking care of it. That's really cool. And not just because there's snow. That just sounds like a great idea. It sounds like fun, right? Yeah. And Sandra says that's why she loves this contest, because getting people outside in nature makes them feel good. Sandra herself has built snowmen every year of the contest, and she said she likes to dance to the ABBA song (laughs) Dancing Queen with her friend Sonia while they build their snow people. So you can imagine how this event helps build community, bring people together, and raise awareness about the climate. The project has a Facebook group called Last Snowman Winnipeg, and there are lots of photos of the sculptures from this year's contest on that page, including penguins, a dragon, a light-up owl, a massive firefighter bust, and a giant (laughs) hockey-playing snowman. Lots of really cute little snow people as well. Oh, wow. That sounds just so great. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Laura. One, two, three... voices of our next climate heroes, a group of young people in Williams Lake, B.C. They were nominated by Susan Hemphill, who sent us a link to this song, We Can Think It Out. They wrote and performed it themselves with some help from adults. And one of those grown-ups is Shannon O'Donovan. Hi, Shannon. Hi. I'm also joined by two of the young singer-songwriters, Finn Zernhelt and Raven Shepard. Hi, Finn. Hello, Raven. Hi. Hi. I've got to say, when when the team here at What on Earth heard that song, we knew we wanted to hear the story behind it. Um, Let me start with you, Raven. What inspired you to be part of this project to write a song about climate change? I really thought that a song was quite inspiring, and I really wanted to be part of something that would help people and keep climate change from destroying our lands and everything. Is it something you think about a lot, Raven? Uh, Yeah, I think about it sometimes. The other day, I was actually reading a book on it. And, and Finn, how, how about you? I wanted to join it to write a song with some friends and try and put the word out there for climate change. And why was that important to you, Finn? I live on a ranch and it's pretty hard because you know how it gets colder and hotter and stuff? Yeah. The cows learn to come back when it gets cold. And this year or last year, um, we had to go out there three times a week. Because you had to bring them back, is that right? Yeah, okay. and we don't usually have to very much. Oh, wow, that's a difference, but, isn't it? Yeah. Shannon, what was it like collaborating with Raven and, and Finn, who I should mention is your son, <laughs> and the rest of the group? Yeah, Finn is my son. I actually had a couple of sons uh, working on the project with me. My older son, Seamus, was part of it. It was one of the first 
experiences I've had writing a song as a group. Um, and it was amazing. It was very challenging uh, to get everybody's thoughts together and, and to actually come up with a song. We only had four sessions together. That was it. Four one and a half hour sessions. And um, I collaborated with Ferris Romero, who's um, a well-known bluegrass musician. And we had the local band teacher from the middle school help um, put together the melodies. And so it was an amazing collaboration of people in the community. And, you know, we chose a topic of climate change because it's, uh, you know, it's front of mind for a lot of people, in particular myself, and I'm, I'm quite passionate about it. You and can, I was so amazed with these kids that had never written a song and what they came up with. You can sure you can hear the that sort of bluegrass sound coming through there. And Williams Lake is such a beautiful part of the province. And, and we heard Finn talking about the cows and how things have changed. How has the landscape shaped the way you've approached making music about climate? Well, you know, the landscape, as you said, is a very beautiful landscape. And it's been changed um, significantly from the huge fire that happened in 2017. And that is, we pass by every day that we drive to town from our, from our ranch. We drive by and we see the devastation um, that occurred from those forest fires. And, you know, as a result of, of temperatures rising and every summer there's a fire somewhere in the area where there's smoke that fills the, fills the air in the summer months. Um, it changes, you know, as far as the grasslands go, which is what we're surrounded by. It's changing that, um, that landscape. It's, it's a lot drier. Um, but it was an incredible project to be a part of. And what we, what, one of the hardest things and, and also the most interesting thing was that everybody is on this project had a different perspective and they, they came to the song with a different um, take on what climate change meant to them. And, you know, some of the kids were ranchers, some of them were more of an urban, um, lived in an urban environment. And so they all had different perspectives, but the whole point of the song was that together, yeah, we, we all have a different approach here, but but together we can actually come up with a solution. Well, yeah, the, the song is pretty powerful. Let, well, let's listen to a little bit more of it, to, to a part that I think is really striking. What does that part of the song mean to you? Uh, to me, it means that we all need to work together to stop climate change. We kind of need to come together, plan something out, and see what we can do to fight climate change so it'll stop affecting us in really bad ways. And Finn, what were you and the other songwriters trying to say when you wrote that part? Like the fires, it's part of climate change when they happen stuff, and... There's been more and more and bigger fires. And the sparrow part, I'm not really sure. <laughs> Shannon, do you want to help out pretty, there? That right? Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you think, Shannon? What, what's, your, what's your sort of take on that part of it? Well, I think, I mean, a sparrow to me is a very, uh, it's, it's a very small bird. And so in, in the grand scheme of this, we're all a tiny, tiny part of it. But together, our actions are huge. But 
as a, as a sparrow, as a, as a, as one thing we can do in our day-to-day lives or one small change we can just make in our approach to how we see things will help fight this fire. I wonder too, I mean, we've talked a lot on this show about the, the grief and the sadness that people feel, particularly young people um, and anxiety even about climate change. And, and the song weaves all of this together with a sense of hope. And I'm wondering how the process of writing it and performing it um, helped work through the combinations of those emotions that, that you and, and the young people who are involved may be having. Well, I know when writing it, um, we we sat down and at the, one of the first songwriting sessions we had, we said, what kind of song do we want to write? Do we want to write a sad song? Do we want to write a an angry song? Um, because, you know, when we talk about the emotions that surround the word climate change. Is how does it make you feel when you say that? And everybody, I would say unanimously, agreed that we wanted to write a song on on hope. And there was lots of discussion about how we portrayed that and um, the song sort of takes you from a, a bit of despair at the beginning. I mean, the opening line is, you know, um, she's only 10 and the earth is dying. That's that that grabs your attention. And actually, Raven wrote that line. That was one of the lines wow, that she came Raven, to the song Raven, that's really strong. Good work, Raven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a beautiful line. And um, so we started with that, but we all really wanted to finish the song on well, what can we do? We didn't want people thinking, well, there's nothing I can do anymore. So working through the emotion of despair to hope was sort of where we took people or we wanted to take people in in the lyrics of the song. Hey, Raven, can I, can I ask you about that line? Because it is a very powerful line. What made you think of that? Well, then I was still 10 years old and I was thinking about in my future, it, it'll get really bad and I I won't be able to do things that I can't. I, that I can do right now. Yeah, I wonder. How, I mean, all these big decisions about climate change—they're being made all the time by a bunch of grown-ups, not by you. I'm wondering if you could send those grown-ups a message. What would it be? I guess I would say that, like, I—I I guess some of them might be thinking about more older people, and I guess I'd tell them to maybe think about younger people, which their future might be affected. They may—they might not be able to do some of the stuff that they want to do. They might not be able to live where they want to. So I was thinking, like, maybe if we want to talk to some younger kids and see what they think. Good advice, Finn. What about you? What 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 message would you like to send to the grown-ups? The message I want to send. There's always going to be fires and stuff, and there's always it's always going to have some cold days and some hot days, but to try and get less of those. You want a safer place to grow up in? Yeah. I get it, for sure. Shannon O'Donovan, Finn Zernhelt, and Raven Shepherd, thank you all so much for talking to me. Thank you. You're, you're very thank well. You. you guys, you happy you. Earth Day for, uh, for next week. <laughs> <laughs> Finn and Raven, you did a great job. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the song. Thank you for having me. The time is now to make some change. We can think it out. No one knows how the tale unfolds, but we can change how it's told. Come on, friends, the earth is meeting. Let's open some hopeful ceilings. We can think.
That is, We Can Think It Out, by Raven Shepard, Finn, Julia, and Seamus Zernheld, Bodie Elwick, Lucia and Scarlett Johnston, Eileen McIntyre, Shannon O'Donovan, Ferris Romero, Dina Bauman, and Brent Morton. Now, I'm betting some of those kids, and maybe some of you, have boarded a school bus to get to classes. Early in the morning, the bright yellow bus comes rumbling by, kids with backpacks jostling to get a seat. For this show, though, we're thinking about that distinctive smell, the diesel fumes that aren't really such a great part of it all. Well, our next climate hero wants to change that. Yes, my name is Claire Kratz, and I'm in Treaty 7 in Calgary, Alberta. Claire's friend Rebecca Honesbein nominated her. Claire is a mom of two and the co-lead of Alberta's chapter of For Our Kids, a group of parents and guardians acting to protect the environment. And she's behind the Alberta campaign to electrify school buses. This campaign matters to me because it is one very small piece of a very giant puzzle. We have to move to walking, rolling, making safe streets for kids. Um, But even then, there is going to be a part of the mix is going to be the electric school bus. Now, there are community efforts to switch to electric school buses across the country. But in Alberta, it's a conversation that's only just begun. And Claire has been a driving force. My youngest says that I'm stubborn. And my oldest, he words it in a little bit of a nicer way. He, he says persistent. And I think, <laughs> I think they know that I'm doing this for them and for their future. So I, I think they're okay with me being stubborn slash persistent. Claire has met with school boards across Alberta and we checked School representatives tell us they're listening, and Claire says there's word of an e-bus pilot program coming to Calgary. Meanwhile, Claire's work continues. I don't see myself as a hero. I see myself as a very concerned parent who really just wants to make a small difference and try and push the needle or push that ball up the hill so that once it gets to the top, maybe we can start to see that momentum down the hill. Paper or plastic? Oh, I forgot my own bags. Um, plastic. No, wait, paper. Hang on, which one's better? I don't know. Don't stress, Neil. The podcast Living Planet is here to help. We know you want to do what's right for the planet, but you're busy and you have to make a thousand small decisions every day. So we endeavor to answer what's better. Cotton or polyester? Tea or coffee? For answers to these environmental conundrums and your questions, subscribe to Living Planet wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to What on Earth on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius XM. I'm Laura Lynch, and today we're devoting the whole show to the climate heroes nominated by you. And we hear from a lot of listeners who want homes free of fossil fuels. And we're going to talk a little more about that right now because Rachel Sanders is back. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Laura. So am I right? Yeah, you're right. People want to replace their gas furnaces with electric heat pumps. We hear about that all the time, but it can be really complicated. Hi, I'm Suzanne Ketley, and I'm based in Ottawa, Ontario. I am nominating Chris Taggart as a climate hero because I was so impressed with 
his ability to bring a community together on a very complex subject. All right, Rachel, you talked to Suzanne and to Chris. So tell me more about this work that he's doing. Okay, Chris is a software engineer by day, but he wanted to put his skills to use for the climate. So he started researching what even he admits is a super boring topic. Building electrification, like no one's doing this right now. Somebody should be thinking about this. How do we get more people installing heat pumps? How do we make it easier to install heat pumps and replace your fossil fuel appliances? So in his spare time, Chris created a group called Electrify 613 on the messaging platform Slack. 613 being the area code for the Ottawa region. Exactly. That's right. Uh, The group's a place where people can share their knowledge about how to make their homes more climate friendly. And it now has several dozen members. Suzanne says it helped her with her own home electrification project. And it's just an amazing tool that we can use so we can rely on each other. A good example would be, where can I find funding? for this sort of retrofit, or who are good vendors in the community that we can trust. And so if you have people that are just one or two steps ahead of you, then they can help you and provide you with some of the answers you need. But Chris wanted to go bigger and help people outside of Ottawa. So he just recently launched a website, electrific.co. Anyone anywhere can use the site to create a group for people in their area to share information. And soon it's going to have some how-to guides as well. It'll be like a home electrification library. Very cool. (laughs) So what's behind this passion? Chris says he was motivated to act by his kids. And then seeing the future they're set up to inherit and knowing that we have choices and changes that we can make now to alter that future really sort of inspired me to take some initiative and and take action and, and try to do something to move things forward. Chris wants to spread the word about heat pumps far and wide, so he's got something else in mind. Okay, what's next? Lawn signs saying this home has been electrified with a link to the new website. And Suzanne says this project is really making a difference. This is going to encourage us all to keep moving forward. Climate change is such a big topic and it's very daunting and it's very it's very intimidating for people. And I think a lot of people are like me and they're starting to wake up to the seriousness of the situation. And it's easy to be overwhelmed and it's easy to be terrified, in fact, and to feel helpless. But I find that one of the best ways to get over the anxiety is to actually do something. So you can check out Chris's new website at electrific.co. That's spelled like the word electrification without the Asian. And yes, that's .co, not .com. Okay, let's try that again. Electrific.co. Did I get that right? You got that right. Okay, Rachel. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Laura. Our next climate hero also isn't used to being the focus of attention. She's happy helping others bring change to their communities. But she has a fan who wants the world to know what she does. Hi, my name is Sam Bird, and I'm nominating Justice Morningstar because she leads the Catalyst 2020 program with Indigenous Clean Energy, ICE. All the work that Indigenous Clean Energy does, especially their Catalyst 2020 program, is really inspiring to me because... They're enabling Indigenous young people to pursue careers in clean energy so that Indigenous people can help their communities transition into clean energy. 
When I think about the work that Justice Morningstar and all of her colleagues at ICE are doing, it makes me feel hopeful for the future. And you heard her name there, but I'll let our climate hero introduce herself. Yeah, uh, so my name's Justice Morningstar. I'm from the North Shore in Northern Ontario, um, specifically Garden River and Mississauga First Nation. I am an auntie, a daughter, sister, a whole lot of things, but I am also the uh, manager of the 2020 Catalyst Program at Indigenous Clean Energy. It doesn't feel like work, so I love to continue to do everything I do at ICE. I would like to nominate that for one of the best self-introductions we've had on this show. (laughs) That was terrific. (laughs) So that was nice. You heard Sam's nomination there. What, what, what What did you think when you first heard that she'd actually nominated you as a climate champion? Um, I was actually very surprised, um, you know, like, I would say we're, we're the background people, you know, like, um, our participants are really the ones who do the groundwork. They're, they're really on the ground getting these projects moving forward. For me personally, it really is great um, to hear that and f- to know she thought of me when she heard of the, the nomination. So yeah, it was just, it was a great honor. Well, here's your chance. Tell me about Indigenous Clean Energy's 2020 Catalyst Program. There have been six groups who've gone through the training already. Can you tell us about the latest class, where they're from? Well, actually, the Catalyst Program, we ha- it's a national program. So we have people coming in from all across Canada, um, from some of the most remote Indigenous communities I've seen, I haven't even heard of. Um, we have like these first meetings coming together in the next couple of months. When I'm booking their travel, I haven't even seen some of these communities. We have to charter some planes to get them here. They're traveling for days to come do our training. For them to like come join us is amazing. When you meet them for the first time, you know, you you don't really know them. Everybody's kind of shy. And then when you hear about their projects and everything they're doing, it's incredible. Yeah. Tell me about that. What kinds of, of renewable energy projects are people in this group working on? Oh, in this group, there's lots. We have some energy efficiency, so they'll be getting a lot of their homes and their communities working in energy efficient standards, as well as we have some solar projects. A lot of these people are coming from diesel-reliant communities, and they their goal is to completely get off diesel through the Catalyst program. And when you talk to the people who've come through the program, is there anything that sticks with you about what they've said about what it means to them? I mean, it's life-changing is one of the main thing I've, things I've heard from all our alumni. It's shifted their mindset, and they are able to drive their projects forward in ways that they couldn't even like imagine before the program. And for some of them, you know, maybe clean energy was just a stopping ground on their career journey. But by going through the Catalyst program, they realized that their mindset and their ambitions in life changed to staying in this field. Wow, that's really Uh, something. mm -hmm. (laughs) I I mean, Justice, managing the program must be a lot of work. I, I can hear from what you're saying. It's so much to organize. What motivates you to keep going with the work? It is the catalysts, um, the participants. Yeah, we call them catalysts, but they <laughs> they really, when you meet them and you hear their stories and the way they talk about their communities, their families, 
why they're in this and you get to know them on not only like a professional level but on a personal level as well and they're all such amazing people and there's not one person that I could say like is doing better things or like has accomplished more than the other because they're all accomplishing such amazing things for their communities and hearing that is what drives me forward and keeps me you know wanting to make everything so great for them I want everything to just go so smoothly for them so that they don't have to worry about anything else but focusing on you know their learning their growing and their ability to keep moving forward in the clean energy space and in their own lives I understand that there's someone else though who who might sort of keep you inspired and that's your mom yeah. <laughs> um my mom is just such an amazing person. Um she's worked a lot in her own field which is health, but she has been in in her field for over like 40 years and all my life I've just heard her all the amazing things she's done and I've kind of always wanted to be on her level. I don't know if I ever will be, but yeah, she's an amazing woman and a great inspiration to me. I bet she's so proud of you. Here you are today, you know, winning a notice as a, as a climate champion. So that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you about something else, though. I mean, your last job was with an organization that was working to undo the damage and the legacy of residential schools. I'm wondering what connection you see between that work and the work you're doing now on clean energy. We were given the residual funds from the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement, and we had to put in place uh, processes to distribute these funds to Indigenous people across Canada. So I think the connection there is just Indigenous people right now are leading the way in clean energy, and we are advancing clean energy and leadership throughout all these things like utilities, governments, you know, like Indigenous people are just at the top there. Like we we envision this future where Indigenous people are included in decision-making processes about these energy projects in their communities. And I think just being able to advance Indigenous people at every level is kind of the connection there where I just I don't want to see any indigenous communities or people left behind. Oh, that's really eloquent. Um I, I just I just want to ask you your um your name, Justice. It's an unusual <laughs> first name. Why did you why did your parents give you that name? Uh I'm gonna be very honest with you, Laura. Uh -huh. um, my mom's a huge baseball fan. <laughs> Um, and she had a crush on David Justice. Well played, yes. Yeah, okay, <laughs> that's funny. So, <laughs> Here I was I thinking you're seeking uh, justice. That's very yeah. funny. Well, you're giving it new shades of meaning. I, that's all I can say. <laughs> yeah. Just the just last thing that I want to ask you though is is what is your message to people listening who want to take action on climate change but might not know where to start. I would say take the training, you know, sign up for anything you can. Come join the Indigenous Clean Energy family where we have many programs at any level of your career, anywhere you want to start. We have Generation Power, which is we're doing wage subsidy and energy training for youth that want to get into the field. We have 
imagination that gives grants up to $30,000 for youth to advance clean energy projects in their communities. So if you are wanting to start and are looking for a place to start, I think Indigenous clean energy is, is the place. Justice Morningstar, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and a, and a privilege as well. We're heading to the Maritimes for our next nomination. My name is Marianne McNeil. I live in Lawrencetown, Annapolis County, Nova Scotia. And I am nominating Nina Newington as a climate hero. Nina Newington is an activist determined to halt logging in now rare old-growth forests. Marianne describes Nina in three simple words. Brilliant, fearless, and compassionate. She would never call herself a hero. I know she wouldn't. But she um, she certainly is in my books because she's doing it for all the right reasons. Nina's love for nature and her connection to the forest started in her youth. I think that from when I was a really young child, I had these experiences of knowing that I was a part of nature and that I wasn't alone. So and I think that's probably really the root of that desire to save the forests is that real gut knowing that we're not separate. You know, I'm not apart from nature. I'm, I'm in nature. I am nature. Now at 64, Nina is determined to protect Nova Scotia's mature balsam fir, yellow birch, sugar maple, eastern hemlock, eastern white pine, and red oak trees. They're key for species like lichen and moose, and they also store carbon. Nina is determined to grab the attention of all the major players in the logging industry, and she's not shy about standing her ground. I've done a fair amount of direct action of actually just getting in the way of logging trucks that were trying to, you know, that were planning to come in and take forests. Back in 2020, Nina and other activists camped out for months to block logging roads in Digby County. The nine of us were arrested intentionally, peacefully, because we refused to lift the blockade. Nina and the others were released from custody and the criminal charges were later withdrawn. Since that incident, many have been inspired to speak up and reach out to Nina. Now people of all ages and backgrounds are working with her to protect the aging titans of the forest. But what surprises Nina is when strangers go out of their way to acknowledge her activism. You know, I've been out handing out leaflets about clear-cutting sort of street festivals in, in Nova Scotia and across the road a big rusty old muddy pickup truck pulls up and a guy gets out and he stomps across the road and I think oh somebody's going to tell us off and he doesn't he comes over and he says thank you for what you're doing I hate clear cutting I hate seeing what's happened to our forests it makes me cry when I drive across the province and I see the wreck that's been made and I'm glad you're doing what you're doing now, of course, not everyone agrees with these kinds of protests. More than 5,000 people depend on forestry in Nova Scotia for income. Meanwhile, the province says it plans to protect 20% of its lands and waters by 2030. Okay, another Climate Champion nomination. We have reached What on Earth listener Adrian Bollard. Adrian, hello. Hi, Laura. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. I want you to tell me about your climate hero, Andrew, and the work he does. Yeah, Andrew Mills has been organizing the Eco Solar Home Tour here in Alberta for quite a few years. 
He's the president of the Eco Solar Tour. And yeah, from January to June, he's busy working away. He's retired, but he, he might as well not be in terms of the amount of effort he has to put in to organize the Eco Solar Home Tour. It originated in Edmonton, and then they expanded into Calgary, and now they've expanded into Lethbridge. And this year, and as of last year, Canmore and Banff are part of it too. And what, what are the Net Zero Home Tours? Um, basically, it's eco-friendly homes, homes that have been either upgraded or maybe even built as passive homes to begin with. And the homeowners are, are grateful enough to open up their homes to show other people uh, the steps they've taken and the techniques they have to reduce the carbon emissions from their home. Some are net zero, some are near net zero, and I say some are even passive home. And the amount of people that Andrew is influenced by initiating the whole process and having thousands of people every year turn up at the various cities for the different tours. Um, his, his carbon footprint is negative, I guess, by the, the, the million tons right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he sounds like a really good guy. Um, and I got to tell you something. It just so happens that your climate hero, Andrew Mills, is here right now. He's been listening in. Andrew, hello. Yes, hello. <laughs> Adrian, what do you want to say hi to Andrew? Hi, Andrew. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. Adrian, thanks for the kind words. I appreciate that. Oh, you're very welcome. Andrew, how does it feel to hear that? Oh, it's lovely. I, you know, the the point of our tour is to influence people. And Adrian is one of those people that has been influenced by the tour. And uh, it continues to be influenced by just, just being able to meet the people and see what's going on. And uh, it's just great to, to just see it going from person to person and uh, creating uh, more influence. It's that's, that's the whole goal. Before you took over as the organizer for the tours, you were already working on your own home. And I understand it's 70 years old. What, what, what motivated you to try to make it net zero? Well, we bought, we bought this, this house uh, back in 1993. It uh, was originally built in 1949 and it was a really drafty, leaky old house, but that's what we could afford. Uh, you know, you, 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 you buy what you can and, and it's a great neighborhood and it's a lovely house and it had some really lovely features, but it was, it was an energy disaster. <laughs> uh, when the wind blew, we could actually see our curtains move. It was that drafty. It was uh, very uncomfortable. Oh. So we took a few years, about uh, 11 years to get our mortgage under control, you know, as, as you do. And then, uh, and then we set out to do uh, an update and uh, we, the furnace was toast. The water heater was toast. Uh, everything needed to go. So we, um, uh, first thing I did is I went in the Echo Solar Home Tour and uh, went and gathered up all the ideas and was like, wow, look at all the cool things you can do. And uh, as a result of that, uh, we went with, um, it's called uh, geothermal, but basically we're pumping the heat out of the ground uh, to heat our house. And that is an electric heating style. And then from there, you can then start making your house more efficient. And then by 2020, we were able to then put enough solar up to take the whole house net zero. And so it's it's a journey and that's my journey. And along the way, meeting the people who are on their own journeys to make their houses more efficient, it just, it's inspiring. It, it gives you ideas and it's just a whole lot of fun. That does sound like a lot of fun. I'm, are you hearing back from the people who do the tours that, that they have actually decided to, to go forward, a lot of them? 
the question on everybody's lips last tour that this just happened in 2022 was, okay, how do I start? Okay, what do I do next? Okay, what, who do I call now? How do I make this happen? Whereas in previous tours, it was like, ooh, that's interesting. You know, maybe we'll consider that in the future. Uh-uh-uh. In 2022, the people that came out to the tour says, okay, I need to get started oh, now. Wow. How do I do this? <laughs> um, one thing you're doing is it's not actually just single homes. You're, you're taking, you're letting people come to visit an entire village? The village of Sterling put in enough solar on the roofs of their public buildings and then in their uh, maintenance yard, they put a big ground mount solar array in. And in doing that, they actually turned their electric bill from $30,000 a year to minus $7,000 a year. Oh. And that pays for their, essentially for their fire services. Wow. It's like, wow, what a, what a way to offset, what a way to offset uh, costs in a small village. What oh, a great idea. So here you're going from inspiring single homeowners to villages. I, maybe you're going to conquer the world next. Who knows? But. Well, I, you know, I, I'm not going to make any claims that we had any influence on the village of Sterling. That, that, they did that themselves. Right. I just want to bring Adrian back in. He's still with us. He's been, he's been listening in, your, your nominator. Um, Adrian, uh, climate change, it, it can feel like such a daunting problem. I'm wondering what kind of difference you think Andrew is making, especially having listened to him talk just now. Well, for every person that decides to make their house net zero or even near net zero, there's just like, there's just tens of thousands of tons is taken out of the equation. And it's not just in this year, like if a house is made net zero, it's, it's saving tons of carbon dioxide year after year. So, so they, just the influence and as, as it spreads out like a wave, just the wave kind of encircles more and more people and more and more people get involved and excited about it. And, and they set off their circle of influence from there. So like Andrew's uh, spearheading of the, of the EcoSolar Tour every year really does have a, an impact. It just is really long lasting and it's a very uh, enriching circle to be part of. Are you blushing, Andrew? Uh, sure, <laughs> sure, if you like. <laughs> well, Andrew and Adrian, I thank you both for, for joining me. Adrian, for recognizing Andrew, and Andrew, for, for everything that you're doing to inspire yeah. others. Thanks, Andrew. Much appreciated. And thanks, Laura. I love the show. And I really appreciate all the people you're educating, too. Okay. Well, thank you, Laura. And thank you, Adrian. I appreciate, I appreciate this. This is a lot of fun. People are having a lot of fun today on the show, aren't they? <laughs> I, I really like this idea because I certainly know that around my neighborhood, there are people who have been do taking steps to make their homes more efficient, to use heat pumps and that sort of thing. And there's certainly curiosity about seeing how they work and or wanting to ask questions. So the idea of a, being able to organize a tour, great idea. Our next climate hero searches for climate solutions at sea. Listener David Harding nominated Bruno Hoffman, also known as the Green Boater. Bruno is as much at home on the ocean as he is on the land. I've been on the west coast of British Columbia on the ocean my entire life. My dad is a boat builder. He's 91 years old, still helps me with my boat. So I've been around and on the ocean my entire life, and I've seen a direct change in even the wildlife. For Bruno, the changes he was seeing spurred him to take action. Bruno launched The Green Boater, an online resource for seafarers. It includes information about how to reduce emissions at sea, from electric boats to cleaner burning engines. So my, my little part of the world is 
talking to voters and seeing if we can just help them do one thing, just change one little thing, times a million, and maybe we can have an impact on the ocean. The thing is, his worries about the future of the ocean can keep him up at night. People protect what they love, right? Um, if you've got family members or or if you've got uh, something that you're passionate about, you'll do some crazy things to protect it. And so one of the things I'm really happy about is that there's a whole world, especially on Instagram and places like that, where they show the beauty and majesty of the wildlife that sits in our ocean. This week's show has been jam-packed with community climate heroes. What on earth? Rachel Sanders is here, though, to tell us about one last nomination. Hi, Rachel. Hi again, Laura. Okay, I couldn't resist bringing this one onto the show. One more nominee. I'm going to let her speak for herself. (laughs) Well, um, hmm, that's an unusual thing to say. Who who the heck is that? That's Miss Jessie. Uh, She is an 18-year-old calico, and she was nominated by her human, Peggy Nankivel, in Ottawa. Okay, but why is a cat a climate hero? Well, she's written a book. Uh, It's called... Of course she has. (laughs) It's called Jess Eco-Cat, A Guide for Cats Who Care. It's quite a short book, only 15 pages long, and it contains advice such as never drink from plastic bottles, always drink tap water, or... Water from natural sources such as rain puddles. This isn't for humans, is it? No, no. (laughs) The next one, reduce use of fossil fuels. Avoid road travel, especially to the vets. (laughs) Very clever. I think the cat's got something going on there. It does. They're actually, they're selling the book, Miss Jessie and Peggy, to raise money for the green team at their church. That's St. Matthew's Anglican Church in the Glebe in Ottawa. The Green Team there wants to help their partner church, St. Thomas's Anglican Church in Moose Factory, Ontario. So they're planning to buy a new water filtration system for the church's parish hall. Is the cats allowed to drink that water? I would imagine so, yeah. <laughs> but it's mostly for humans. Uh, and they've heard from the people in Moose Factory that if they have a water filtration system, they'll need to drink less bottled water. Oh, well, that's good. For there the you government. go. Yeah. Yeah. And so have they raised money for this now? They have. They've already raised $160. And Peggy says they're expecting to raise quite a bit more because they're selling the book at a church soup lunch on Earth Day. Well, we got to say thank you then to Miss Jessie. Miss Jessie, what do you say back? She performs on command. She does, yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Laura. And thanks to everyone who's written in to tell us about your community climate champions. There were a lot of fantastic stories, and we just couldn't possibly fit them all in this one show. So we are going to keep telling them in the coming weeks and months here on What on Earth. Keep the nominations coming. We want to hear about the people in your world who go the extra mile or kilometer for the planet. Send us an email anytime, earth at cbc.ca, and tell us about your climate hero. Okay, phew, that was a lot. (laughs) If you missed any of today's program... You can listen on demand at CBC Listen, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And that is all for us this week. The show was put together by associate producers Danielle Piper and Zoe Yunker, producers Rachel Sanders and Molly Siegel. Matthias Wilson is our engineer. Catherine Rolfson is our senior producer. I'm Laura Lynch. Thank you for listening. 
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.